Welcome to Grape Top Church. Uh, I'm your host, Omar Hargrove. And today we are continuing our series about being fulfilled. And today specifically, we are going to be talking about the undeserved calling. The undeserved calling. And we're going to be focusing on the story of Jacob. And I feel like it's already hard enough when you when you're trying to pursue a calling in your life, when you're trying to find God and on top of that, find what he's called you to do. It's a whole nother level when your history is full of mistakes and uh, uh, painful failures, all these, uh, almost like we are a different part of ourselves than who we are today. Pursuing your calling into that is much more difficult because your calling feels so undeserved. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And... As we focus on the life of Jacob, we're going to be unpacking some key parts of his story, starting off with the, with the moment that he reflected on repentance. And people who acknowledge wrong that they've done are able to have the greatest change in life. Some of y'all who know me a little more beyond just like church, you know that I can have a natural tendency to... While one would call it pessimism, I would call it realism. And I, I believe that people have this powerful thing within them that they are able to change. That we are able to change as human beings. But I also believe that rarely do you see genuine change. That, that there's these moments or, or certain people where they will say that they are going to change, but then never end up changing. Like, if you ever had that one boss that all of the staff agree that they, they have certain tendencies and behaviors and habits that are toxic to the workplace, all the staff confront them, says, okay, I'm going to change, and they do some different policies, they do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then three months into it, he's doing the exact same things that he used to do. It, it's, it's a very common scenario, but what I believe is that what's required for real change to happen is for a person to acknowledge that change needs to happen. Without that acknowledgement of yourself, acknowledgement of wrongs that you have done, mistakes that you've made, you will never really experience great change. Y'all feel that? For Jacob, to give some background to who Jacob is, he is the twin brother of Esau, and he is most well known for, for stealing his brother's blessing. And he tricked his father to, in order to steal the, the, the birthrights that his brother had. And there's a moment where he has this come to God moment. And I feel like you don't necessarily reflect on it when you read it the first time. Because Jacob is later named Israel, who becomes the father of the, like the founding Jews and generations that, that, that house our faith. And there's this big part of the story that we just kind of, you read and you're like, that was weird. And then you just like accept the fact that Jacob becomes Israel. And even though he was kind of a dirtbag. And to give us an understanding that, that Jacob cheated his own blood. It's one thing when you're cheated by a stranger. But when, when it's with blood, it feels different, you know? It feels like you have this, like no one has to tell you as a kid that 
your brothers and sisters, your, 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 your family are supposed to be the people who won't betray you. It, it, it's just like this knowing. And for Jacob to betray his brother, steal a life destiny, a, a, a dynasty, a blessing, it was truly, truly wrong. To the point where Esau, the brother who was cheated, wasn't just like, oh man, I can't believe you did that. His response was, I'm going to kill you. And not like that, like, you know, kind of sibling rivalry, like, oh, I'm going to kill you. Like, no, like, I'm literally going to kill you. That was his response by how badly his brother treated him, Jacob. And as Jacob is fleeing from his brother, who is going to kill him, he's going to his uncle's house, land far away, and he has this moment on his traveling there. It's in Genesis chapter 28, starting in verse 10. It says, Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled toward Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stop there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. And as he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth up to heaven. Cue Led Zeppelin, stairway to heaven. But don't play it backwards because this is, this is the good version. And he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac, the God you are lying on, the ground that you are lying on belongs to you and I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Next. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, and they will spread out in all directions, to the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. See, this blessing that God is speaking to him in this dream was the blessing he stole from his brother Esau. The, the, the blessing that he tricked his father into giving to him. And it shows that our word over someone is actually much more powerful than we initially realized. And it says, it goes on to say, One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you. I have finished everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he also was afraid. Now let's pause here for a moment to, to kind of unpack some additional thoughts. Jacob, before this moment, there's no scripture evidence of him having a right relationship with God. Up to this point, up to this point it has only been the God of his father and the God of his grandfather. It has not been his God. And when it says, God is this place, and I wasn't even aware of it, that brings me comfort. Because have you ever been to a church and like, I just didn't even feel the Holy Spirit? You weren't even aware that it was there. Perhaps it just, you, maybe you were feeling off. See, there's, there's these moments where we don't even recognize that God is walking with us. That I feel like when I look back in my life, for Jacob, up to this point, he's just been... A dirtbag. That's all he's been. A trickster. And he 
is standing in God's presence and wasn't even aware of it. When I look back on my dirtbag moments, I feel like God was there protecting me even though I didn't know it at the time. Y'all feel that? It's like you look back and like, man, that, that was like a guardian angel or something. That was, that was a, a miracle that this didn't happen or that didn't happen. And it's those moments where at the time we may have considered it luck, but perhaps God was with us and we weren't even aware of it. And then what's really peculiar is this part. But he was also afraid. Why? Why was Jacob afraid? I think that is because deep down he was reflecting on the wrong that he had done. You know, you think the best when you're alone. That's why like in the shower we're often thinking of like deep thoughts because it's a one moment that we're alone. He is traveling a long distance to where he's having to set up camp in between. Seems like he's traveling by himself. And he's having to make a life change, a major life change, and leave everything he's ever known because of his mistakes, because of the wrongs that he's committed. And this wrong against his brother, even he was hesitant to do it. He, when his mom brought up the idea... He said, he, he gave more hesitation than we've ever saw before, and he didn't want to do it. But at his mom's coaxing, coercing, he ended up doing something even he thought was too far. So now, he's traveling along, and he's thinking about it. You ever think about the bad things you've done? I've, I've been 13 years now, a changed man, and I still think about the mistakes that I've made over a decade ago. And as he's traveling, fresh from a mistake that he knew was wrong, and he realizes that God is speaking to him, and did God say anything threatening in this blessing? It, it seems like it's just all gravy and good. Why is he afraid? Why is he afraid? Because feels like he doesn't deserve the blessing that God is speaking to him. He goes on to say, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head, on, uh, head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. See, that guy needs a, a my pillow right there. He's sleeping on a rock. And he set it upright as a memorial pillar, and then he poured olive oil over it. He named that place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. Then Jacob made this vow, if God will indeed be with me and protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. Pause. This is the first moment where we see Jacob taking any connection, personal ownership of his faith in God. Remember, up to this point, it was a God of his father. And in this moment, the moment that he is saying, the Lord will certainly be my God, what he is also taking on 
is this not only just the faith, but the life that comes with it. This is his moment of repentance. Jacob repents in this moment from a life of abusing and using others for his own selfish gain. And in this, in this dialogue that he's saying, that he's, it's, it's not necessarily like a pretty prayer. He's being straight up. If you're really going to be my God, if you're going to really protect me, right, if you're really going to be the Jehovah of all these things, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, all of these things that, that you call yourself to me and be my God, my one source a provision of healing, of victory, of all, all that I need in this world, I'm yours. And it's his moment of repentance. And look what he does. And this memorial pillar I have set up will become a place for worshiping God. And I will present to God a tenth of everything He gives me. Now, this is actually really unique. And this isn't just a ploy to try to uh, um, trick everyone into tithing today. I want y'all to, to really pay attention the only other time that we see someone give a tenth of everything before the Le Levitical priesthood. See, in Leviticus, there's an instituted tithe of t that 10%. But here is the second time that we see a tenth. The first time, Abraham, after his victory against Sodom and Gomorrah, he gave a tenth of all of the, the spoils from the battle to the king and priest Melchizedek, which was, who was a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus, the Messiah. That's the only other place up to this point in Genesis. Again, this is book one, and we're seeing this. That was one instance where we see Abraham give a tenth. And it shows that it wasn't, didn't seem to just be a random thing. It seemed like he, it was something that he may have well has practiced as far as giving a tenth. It's a very unique number. It's something you know, that we see that's spiritual. But here, we see Jacob say a tenth of everything that I hear on out. A tenth. And we see Abraham a tenth from this battle. Here, a tenth from everything I get from here on out. It's a, it's a higher level of capacity, a higher level of, of willingness and surrender. And it is right after his moment of repentance. It's directly connected to his moment of repentance. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Maybe the rapture is happening today. <laughs> that sign out there is just like uh, blowing in the wind. But he has this, this compelling to do something when God simply showed him this vision in this dream. In that dream, in that vision, did God say, and if you really want this blessing, you're going to have to earn it, boy. No, he just blessed him and promised him the blessing that of, of all that he said. And Jacob's response to what he feels is this undeserved blessing is this moment of, of surrender and effort. I think that when you reflect, when you really reflect at the mistakes that you've made, and you acknowledge the wrong things that you have done, you have a natural tendency to try to make it right. Y'all know what I'm saying? I, I remember when I first gave my life to Christ, this may sound silly, maybe you guys have done something like this. When I first gave my life to Christ, and I started 
uh, having remorse for the things that I had done. One of the many things I did in my thought process to make wrong things right was I messaged all the girls I used to talk to and said, hey, I just want to let you know I'm sorry. It's like a really short, <laughs> it's really short, but I just, I had a notion, I had this response in my heart that I wanted to do something because I felt like God has given me forgiveness that I didn't deserve and I was trying to make wrong things right. And not only did I do that, I, I, I started doing, I almost like felt like I needed to do good because God was so compassionate towards me. And I feel like we have this notion when you acknowledge, when there's genuine remorse for, for the past, what comes after is an actionable response. Not because God necessarily commands it, but because of this, the genuine change of our hearts, it, it, it makes us want to do something. The biggest thing that we have to clarify in this kind of moment is that as you're reflecting on that kind of repentance, you have this change of life. We, what we often do is we have this notion that you want to do, make wrong things right. What we get confused with is the part where we start, it's easy to intertwine what God has said to us. And we start thinking, if I don't do this, then God will not love me as much. That God's grace is not as available to me. And we start mixing the grace that God has given us with the type of performance and trying to earn the grace He has already given us. It's one thing to have a response of goodwill because of that grace, but it's another thing to think that you have to earn that grace through goodwill. Y'all feel what I'm saying? For Jacob, I believe that he has this genuine heart change. And in this moment, he decides, I'm not going to be bad no more. <laughs> I'm going to do good from here on out. And I believe it's not because he wants the blessing that God promised him, but it's because he genuinely felt bad about the things that he had done. And he genuinely regretted the wrong that he committed against people and the lifestyle that he had before. And he had genuine repentance. Now, the next part of his story, we're going to talk about the delayed repercussions. Delayed repercussions. I think that we often don't start seeing the results of our mistakes until we start trying to make them right. Have you noticed the minute that you decide to do good, it seems like all hell goes against you. And you start seeing like stacked up like retroactive consequences for the mistakes that you made before. All, now you're getting in trouble for things that you feel like uh, this is this is years later, months later. Why is, like things are going bad? The Bible tells us that you will reap what you sow. Eventually, however that looks like, and what I've found is that we often start experiencing the consequences of our sins or our mistakes, our attacks on others, with a delayed response. I think that's why we go so long with thinking that, well, I, nothing bad happened. Because we're not seeing that immediate consequence. 
When Adam and Eve ate from the garden of Eden, the, the garden, uh, the tree of uh, the knowledge of good and evil, God said, surely, if you eat from this tree, you will die. Did they die right away? No. They lived like hundreds of years. But then they died. And see, that is an illustration of what it's like when we, to, to eat the consequences of our sins, is that it will happen, just not, maybe not right away. When you look through the trails of Israel, you see many times where the generation sowed evil, two generations reaped the consequences of it. Y'all feel that? For Jacob, look what happens in his story. This is when Jacob has finally had enough. See, Jacob, he moved to his uncle's place, Laban, promised him the daughter, his daughter, um, Rachel, then tricked him and gave him Leah instead. Got, and literally got him a little tipsy. And when it was time, they had this big marriage ceremony, waited till it was dark, and he said, okay, get ready, Jacob. When you go in there, all, we already set the mood, and she's going to be right there for you. And Jacob goes in, does his business, first night being married, wakes up, and it was Leah, the ugly sister. <laughs> the Bible says that she wasn't fair on the eyes. And he was shocked and horrified. <laughs> horrified. Poor Leah. <laughs> and, and Laban said, look. It's just, this girl wasn't going to get married. <laughs> he just tells you straight out. Usually, we, we want the firstborn to get married first. And you really liked her, but we'll still give you Rachel but you're going to have to earn her for seven more years of work. See, he had, in a sense, bought that marriage right through seven years of work. And he said, well, you can have her too, just seven more years. No biggie. And the thing is, that was the first moment where he got a taste of his own medicine. <laughs> Don't feel too good, does it, Jacob? Yeah, now you know what it tastes like, how the turntables have turned, right? The... And then it goes on, the story goes on. Where Jacob, we find Jacob in this moment, says, So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock. And he said to them, I have noticed that your father's ad attitude toward me has changed. But the God of my father has been with me. You know how hard I have, uh, how I have worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages ten times. But God has not allowed him to do me any harm. Now let's pause here. This is the moment right when he's talking, he's having a family meeting. He says, we need to, we need to bust out of here. We're going to start our own life and move away from here. And he's saying, your father, in his, in his presentation to his family, he's saying, look, he's cheated me 10 times already. Y'all know how hard I've been killing myself out here. And he's cheated me 10 times. We just need to go. We need to get out of here. And this has been years and years that he's been putting up with it. Now tell me this. How many times would you allow yourself to get cheated? Whether it's a workplace, maybe a family betrayal. How many times will it take for you to give up on somebody? To where you, to where you don't respond harshly. 
Ten times he's saying that he's cheated and changed his wages. Said, all right, you can have this. And, and then he's like, oh. And, he's like, and then he starts making, making more money. He's like, you know what? No, 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 no. We're going to do it like this. Ten times. How long would you put up with that? So maybe, you, maybe some of you are like, once, and I'm done. Maybe some of you are like, two, three times. But ten times? Ten times. Why is Jacob putting up with it? Because it kind of feels like he deserved it. You notice that you often are more forgiving of others when you, re- when you reflect that you used to do the same thing. You know what I'm saying? And he is being patient because he reflects that God was so patient with him. Ten times! Ten times that he changed his wages. He already, I mean, after the first trick, just tricking with the wives, that might be enough to be like, you know what, dog? <laughs> after these seven years, we're going to go. <laughs> That's, I mean, like, I get what you wanted, but I just don't trust you anymore. Be safe. Because, deep down, well, I deserve that one. This could also work out. I, did, I used to do the same thing. And he's extraordinarily patient because he still reflected on his own repentance. And he sees the wrong that's being done to him as delayed repercussions. And the only thing, though, is... God, tell, God has to tell Jacob, go. God literally tells Jacob, get on. <laughs> Move on with your life. You don't have to put up with this anymore. I feel like sometimes we stay in broken environments because of that inner guilt. We stay in toxicity because we feel like we deserve some type of punishment. We deserve some type of bad and that we don't deserve anything better. And we almost feel like we can't expect it to be better because of all the wrong that we've done. And we're still looking at everything bad that happens in our life as, well, I deserve it. And we can't even ask for good when we're receiving bad because we're still looking at everything wrong that happens. Well, this is just a repercussion to the things that I did. I deserve it. And to know that God is the one telling Jacob, get the hell out of here. What are you doing? Why are you still here? You can go. Remember, I promised to bless you. And even though you still don't feel like you deserve that blessing, you don't have to punish yourself. Y'all feel that? Now, this is, this is where... Jacob's story gets real emotional. And that is this last part where he wrestles with redemption. It's hard to believe God's grace when you feel like you don't deserve it. Ain't that the truth? I'll be honest with you guys. I feel like almost every Sunday, I feel like I do not deserve the, the privilege to be able to share a spiritual message with you. Every Sunday. And even last night, I was on my knees and I was praying and I was just like, God, I really don't deserve to do this. 
And when you reflect on your past, I mean, when you just, it's, it's so hard to believe God's grace sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And when you actually, I, like for me, I'm just being transparent with you guys. For me, I feel like this is one of the best seasons of my life. I love being here with y'all. I love leading this church. It is the, the most fulfilling moment I've ever experienced in my life. To, have, to be able to be with my wife, a, a person I don't deserve, to have my kids, who I also don't deserve, and to be with you guys, in a, with this church, where I feel like I don't deserve it. And to think that this is all because of God's grace. God's grace. That everything good in my life and our lives is a gift that God has given you through grace. For Jacob, as he is traveling back to his homeland, he gets, he gets out of Laban's hair by the skin of his teeth. And I don't even really know what that means. I don't get it. Skin of your teeth, because like, I just don't get it. Maybe someone can explain that to me afterwards. But he, he gets, he loses one person. He's like, all right, man, we, good thing Laban didn't just come and kill us all. And, and as he's going back to his home, he's like, all right, I'm going to send this text to my brother. And he sends messengers. You know, it's different back then. He sent messengers. And he sends that message to his brother saying, hey, I'm coming back home. I just wanted you to know. And whatever else is in that text, like whatever, you know, how long he spent like writing it up, you know, he's probably like, you know, using like stone and chisel, whatever they use back then. And, and he's like preparing it. And he's like, all right, send. And all of a sudden they, he gets word, he gets the messenger come back, says, your brother's coming here. <laughs> and he's coming with 400 so, uh, people with him that look like soldiers. So I don't know what that means. He didn't say anything. He said that, that he's coming. And so Jacob's like, he's going to kill me and my entire family. <laughs> Every fear that I had is about to happen. And all the while, I know that I deserve it. But everything that I've built, every good thing in my life that I have worked for, even though I still feel like I don't deserve it, is about to be taken away from me. And it's all because of the things I did before. And then... It says during the night, he, he, sends over, uh, he, he sends over his kids, he sends over his family, he sends everyone over to where it's a moment where he's all by himself in his camp. When's the last time he was by himself? He saw God, right? Stairway to heaven. He has this moment of alone time. Not loneliness, but alone time. And then it says, what, this is what happened. During the night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two servant wives, and his eleven sons and cross the Jabbok River with him. See, a lot has happened since last we saw Jacob. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. It's obviously a vampire, right? 
But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name? The man asked. He replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. For now on, you will be called Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. And Jacob named the place Peniel, which means the face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury to his hip. Now, this is a peculiar scene, right? Is it in this moment we see Jacob wrestling with this angel of God? And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I feel confused to who this person represents. Is it, um, is it Jesus? Is it an angel of God? Is it like uh, a regular person that God sent, like a prophet or something that, that came? It's, I feel curious about it. But Jacob does say, I've seen God face to face. But that could mean a lot of things too. But what's most interesting is that when he says, you fought against both God and man, number one. And another version says, you have prevailed. You've endured. And the way that I reflect on that scripture is Jacob has sinned both against God and against man. See, it doesn't say like you fought, like you fought and won, like yeah, woohoo. It's saying like you fought against God. Is that ever a good thing? No. You've sinned against God. You've sinned against your brother. And yet you have prevailed. What I see is this dialogue is telling Jacob, even though you have sinned, you have overcome your sin. You have fought so hard a kicking against God, but you have finally overcome your own demons, your own past, your own mistakes, and you have this genuine change in your heart. And the reason I think that, that th what this is really, Jacob is wrestling with redemption. Because he's in this moment, he's all night thinking about how he's going to face the person that he had committed the most wrong against in his entire life. And he's about to see him tomorrow. And he's wrestling with who he has become and the person he once was. Have you ever had those kind of like mental battles in your head? Where you're, you almost are like talking to your old self, like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And, and you almost feel like you, you're, it's like two different people inside of yourself. Not like this imagery of two people wrestling, and you feel like it's these two different people within you, to where one didn't even recognize, can't even recognize who you once were, and now you're this person who you are today. And I feel like that battle in our mind, it, it wrestles with redemption. It wrestles with the acceptance of God's newness. That God, it's struggling with 
being able to receive God's grace despite all the wrong that you've done. And in this moment, when, when it says that He released him, what I, really, I feel like it's really symbolic of how Jacob finally felt released from his past. And it says that he walked differently afterwards, right? Got his hip all dislocated. I don't know if you can necessarily walk with a dislocated hip, but it says he's limping from his injury. So he's walking different after he finally accepts redemption. And I feel like there's, there's two different phases of redemption for us. It's that initial phase where you have this complete acknowledgement that you do not deserve this redemption and it's hard for you to receive it. And then there's a, the second phase of redemption is finally accepting it regardless of the fact that you didn't earn it. And in the next, in the next moment, what we see in this story is Jacob sends gifts upon gifts upon gifts ahead of him to his brother Esau. says so that he sends all these gifts to him trying to appease him. And when his brother sees him face to face, his brother wraps his arms around him, kisses him, and cries on his shoulder. And it's this pure redemption moment for Jacob. And it was like the exact opposite of what he feared. It was the exact opposite to what he deserved. And you know what Esau told him? You can take back all of those gifts that you gave me. I don't want them. Because in the same light, do we not try to send God these types of gifts in our life? We're trying to appease God for our past and we try to earn His grace by sending these gifts to Him. I don't know how many church services that I've been to to where some priest or pastor manipulates that desire for us to earn the grace God has given us with an offering call. If you really, some of y'all, you know that you need to give unto God. And see, we all have that, that inner desire to give unto God because of the fact that He first gave to us. And I've seen so many times that, that desire manipulated into a simple offering call. I, I've, seen, I've heard pastors literally say, if you want your kids to be saved, you need to sow a seed. Crazy. Psychotic. You need to sow a financial seed. And give back to God what He's given to you. For Esau, says, I don't need any of your gifts. I don't need any of them to forgive you. I think that that speaks volumes of what it's like when God forgives us. That no matter how much you try to earn that forgiveness, God says, I don't need any of your gifts to forgive you. That, that forgiveness was already paid for by Jesus. That redemption was already paid for. And there's nothing that you could give to God or try to perform for God to make Him forgive you for real. Or to give you the grace that you earned. Simply, we can't earn it. There's nothing that we could do to earn that grace. And He's not expecting you to earn it. But it's freely given. And it's in this moment 
where Jacob again gets something that he truly didn't deserve. And in this redemptive moment, I believe that all of us wrestle with the, the grace that God has given us. We wrestle with it for our calling. In fact, that we feel like we cannot be used by God because of all the things that we once did. And yet, God has still called you. No matter what you think of yourself, how good or bad, the fact remains that God has called you. In Ephesians 4.12, the Bible says that God has given the church, the, the offices of the church as gifts to the church. The, the, the pastors, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, that these offices of the church are used for the equipping of the saints, the believers, you guys, for the ministry of God's kingdom. That my job as a pastor is not to simply bring people to Christ, but is to equip you in your own faith to step into your own calling, to fulfill your own ministry, to do the work of God's kingdom in your own life, to fulfill God's calling for you. What we have to overcome first, you have to wrestle with that redemption and simply accept the fact that no, even though you, don't, you didn't earn it, God has still given you this calling and this purpose for, in your life. And to, to even get to that point, you have to first wrestle with that salvation. And if you're here today, and maybe that's where you're really focused on, is the calling of Jesus into this relationship, this right relationship with God. Maybe you're still at that moment for Jacob where he saw the stairway of heaven and you're reflecting on repentance. That word repentance, it wasn't a very spiritual word for, for Jacob. It was literally a moment where he said, I'm going to change directions. I'm done being this way. I'm going to, start, I'm going to just start pursuing God in my life. I'm going to walk this way. Repentance simply means to change directions. And if you're in that moment of reflecting on repentance and you're thinking about your own relationship with Jesus, I want us all to just take a moment to bow our heads and close our eyes. If that's you here today and you want to make the decision like Jacob did and put your trust and faith in God, whether it's for the very first time or maybe you feel like you need to give a reaffirmation of that faith, maybe you feel like you need to make that, that step renewed in your life, with every head bowed and eye closed, if that's you, I want you to just raise your hand. I see all your hands. So now, right there to yourself, I want you to have your own conversation with God. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to Him yourself, that that's all it takes to have this journey with Him, this relationship with Him. Notice that all throughout Jacob's story, he didn't do necessarily anything significant to make himself right with God. All he did was be transparent about his heart. Simply talk to him himself. That's all you have to do to start this journey. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can just talk to him yourself. Now while they're doing that, for the rest of you, if you're here, and you feel like this is exactly what you needed to hear today. You feel like it's even just like God confirming what He had already put in your heart. And you feel like the Holy Spirit is just ministering to you. 
With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see all your hands. Now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, finish what you started in these people's lives. Affirm your word to them by making it abundantly clear and causing your presence to rest on them. I pray, Lord, that you'd give them peace and courage and that you'd cause them to see what it is like to walk in the power of God in their lives. And I pray that you help them to fulfill the mission and calling that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.